All right, beloved. Let's get into the Word of God together. We are looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been in this book now for a couple of weeks, and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, grab one of those blue ones. If you have one near you, maybe underneath your seat, and open that up to page 1014, that'll get you to the text we are in this morning. So I want to talk about looking forward to the future, looking forward to the future today. Now, we do this in a, a many different ways. So many of us talk about looking forward to Friday, right? looking forward to the weekend, uh, looking forward to that vacation uh, that may be drawing near. Maybe you planned it you know, a year in advance. That's typically what Allie and I do, and so we kind of count down the months as we draw closer to that. Um, maybe you're looking towards retirement. Maybe it's just around the corner for you. Maybe you're not looking towards retirement but uh, because it's so difficult now to retire in our day and age, but maybe you are. Maybe you're looking for that rest, uh, possibly, that comes with retirement, a chance to do some things you haven't been able to get to do. Maybe you're looking uh, forward to getting out of debt in this year or next year or maybe in five years or whatever that is for you. Maybe you're looking forward to your... Uh, your body getting well soon, maybe you're being treated for something. We look forward, right? We look forward to things. And, uh, and this looking forward to or anticipating really a better future for ourselves, uh, it, it can help us persevere. You know what I'm talking about? So even in the very smallest way, you see that just looking forward to the weekend. You start off on Monday in your work and, you know, Monday's difficult and Tuesday's a little more difficult, and Wednesday we call hump day because you're over the hump almost towards the weekend, but there's a certain um, philosophy that runs among us, this idea of, you know, I'm going to get some rest, it's coming, it's not that far away, and it it, it has a a way, even in a small way, of helping you uh, make it through the week, helping you to persevere in uh, maybe hard or, or tough times. And this looking forward can even uh, enable our hearts to rejoice in the midst of our present trials and tribulations. Do you know what I'm talking about, guys? You with me there? But listen to me. When it comes to our ability to persevere in this life and find, uh, even find joy in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our sufferings, nothing has the ability to help us do that like the Christian's hope. Nothing. See, if we as genuine believers, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the Christian's hope, if we as genuine believers rightly, and I say rightly because many don't rightly understand our hope, uh, even within the Christian faith, maybe they don't fully understand understand it, but if, if we rightly understand all the future blessings that await us, and we've been singing about some of that this morning, and then regularly take time to meditate, to think upon those blessings, then we will find incredible strength and encouragement for our weary hearts. And our Christian hope will help us, beloved, to persevere and faithfully live for and serve our precious Lord, 
even in the midst of this messed up world. Now, before we read our text, which is verses 3 to 5, let me just let your eyes glance down, if you would, in your Bibles to verse 6. We'll look at verse 6 next week, but I just want you to see that now. It says this in verse 6, Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice, Peter says. So what is the this? What is the this that in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their suffering, Peter's readers rejoice? What is it? What is it that inspires them to persevere and press on in this fallen and difficult world? Well, that, my dear friends, is found in verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5. It is the Christian's great hope. It is the promise of the incredible, glorious, and eternal future that God has planned, arranged, and prepared for His people. For His people. For you, beloved, if you are indeed a Christian. Let's look at it now, all right? Let's look at it now. It's wonderful. First Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, we often use, and I've said this before, we often use the word hope. You see it there in the text in verse 3. We often use the word hope in our conversations to mean a wish or a want, a wish or a want, like I hope the weather will be good uh, this weekend. But the word translated hope here uh, doesn't mean a wish or just a want. Rather, it means a looking forward to in confident expectation. Looking forward to in confident expectation. That is Christian hope. And today I'm going to point out three things for you about this hope from the text. First, the Christian hope is living. Second, it is superb. And third, it is secure. Living, superb, and secure. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to the Christians in Ephesus, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You may comprehend in all of its fullness the hope that you have as a Christian. And 
And that is my prayer for us as well, beloved, because of the power of this hope to sustain us and cause us to persevere in the midst of this fallen and messed up world. But first, how does one come to possess this hope? Well, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the text we're in, this hope is for and given to all who have been born again. Who have been born again. Look at verse 3. In the middle there, he says, He, that is God, has caused us to be born again to or into, as the NIV translates it, a living hope, a living hope, born again into a living hope. He gave us new birth into a living hope. One writer says that the expectant attitude that grips the newborn soul is hope. It is hope. It is the hope of those, beloved, who have been saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and subsequently have been given new life in him. And through that life, an incredible hope. Beloved, this hope is exclusively Christian. It is exclusively Christian. It does not belong to the unbeliever or to the one who refuses to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or to the one who worships a false God or a false Jesus. There are those who say they worship Jesus, but it is not the Jesus of the Bible. This hope does not belong to them. Nor does it belong to the one who rejects the Bible as the Word of God, for it is the very Word of God that defines this hope. Nor does it belong to the one who identifies as an atheist or an agnostic. This hope is not theirs. This hope is a Christian hope. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Before you believed in Christ, you were separated from him. That is from Jesus. You were without hope. And without God in the world. Without hope, beloved. That is the state of all those who have rejected our Lord and Savior or have refused to bow their knee to Him and believe and trust in Him and follow Him. That is a sad state of affairs. And that's why we proclaim the gospel. If we love people, we would not want them to remain in that state, right? Without hope without God, but rather we proclaim the very gospel to them that can bring them this great hope if they will only but turn to Christ and trust in him. Beloved, people who reject Christ uh, may indeed have some kind of hope concerning their eternal future or what their life will be like after their time on earth ends. Maybe you've spoken to them and they have some idea, some hope, uh, per se, of, of what is to come for them. But the truth is that that hope is nothing more than a, a false hope. It's an imaginary hope. It's an empty hope. It's a hope that is built on lies. Right, beloved? It's a hope built on lies. And the loving thing to do would be to tell our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors that the hope 
that they have, if they're not in Christ, is built on lies. But they can have our hope if they will but receive the truth of God's word. Believe it, trust in it, bow before it. Job 8.13 says, The hope of the godless shall perish. It'll come to an end because it's a dead hope, an empty hope. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Come to nothing. But the hope that Paul refers to in Ephesians and the Apostle Peter speaks about in 1 Peter is a hope built on the sure, certain promises of God that have been made to and are exclusively for his redeemed children. All those saved by the blood of Christ. So, beloved, let's take a closer look now at this hope. Look back, if you will, with me at verse 3. Picking up in the middle, Peter says, He, that is God, has caused us to be born again to a, and what's the word? Living, a living hope through the resurrection, through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Literally, a hope living a hope living, in the original writing, a hope living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One translation puts it this way, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a hope that is alive. It is alive because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Beloved, the Christian's hope concerning the incredible glorious and eternal future that God has planned, arranged, and prepared for his people is a living and undying hope. It is a hope that will not disappoint, that will not fail, that will not let the believer down. You ever been let down, beloved? This hope will not let you down. It is a hope that cannot be destroyed. No one can take it away. Nothing can remove it. In fact, the believer retains this hope even in his death, which is unlike many of the hopes that the world has for various things, right? I mean, some, some hope and look forward to retirement. Yeah? But they die before they ever get there. Death takes it away. Not so with this hope. It remains. For this hope is a hope that is living and will stay alive. And why? Why is that? Peter says. Because it is a hope living through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So, so this is what he means. It is a hope that is that is grounded in our Christian hope and secured by who? None other than the resurrected and eternal living one. The immortal one, the everlasting one. Who is that, beloved? Jesus Christ, the Lord. Remember what our Lord said to his disciples? Thomas mentioned it earlier today while he was 
here on the earth. He said this in John 14, 2-3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Right? The living one spoke those words. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. If he then went to the cross and dead and was still in the ground, what kind of hope would we have in this statement, this promise? But this promise is alive and well because the living one is alive. The one who made this promise is not in the grave, but he is resurrected from the grave. And it is his resurrection that secures our resurrection and our life with him forever in this place that he has promised to his people. Our hope is living, living through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. One writer says this, our hope is Anchored in the past, Jesus arose as we look back. Our hope remains in the present, Jesus lives. And our hope is completed in the future, Jesus is coming. He's coming, beloved. Maybe some of the hopes you have had in your life have been crushed. But the Christian's hope will never be crushed. For the sovereign and living Lord, our Savior, eternally stands behind it and has forever secured for us the wonderful and glorious fulfillment of it. That is the Christian's hope. It is a living hope an undying hope, an everlasting hope, a hope that this world cannot take away, a hope that not even death can take away. It's alive because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And second, beloved, it is a superb hope. Superb. I I don't even know what word to really use. It was the best one I could come up with at, at the time, but it's a hope of the highest quality. I wanted to say a lot of things. It's a glorious hope. It's a wonderful hope, but I just can't even find words, really. It's a hope of the greatest kind. Look back at the text, and as we read it, I'll tell you that I understand verse 4, as we read through it, to be a fuller description of the Christian's hope. A fuller description of the Christian's hope. And so let's look at it now. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So there, I don't believe Peter is saying, And, and also, He has caused us to be born again to an inheritance. Uh, That is certainly true, uh, but it's not two different things. It's not you're born again to a hope, and you're also born again to an inheritance. Rather, you're born again to a hope, and let me tell you about this hope. It's to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In fact, another translation, good translation of the Bible, puts it exactly that way, and they add a few words 
because that is the way they understand it as well. I'll show it to you. 1 Peter 1.3 in the NET version. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And they supply those two words, that is, because that is how they understand the translation to be understood. So, what is in store for the believer? What is the hope? We know it's living, but what is the hope of the believer? Well, beloved, it's, it's an incredible inheritance. It's incredible inheritance. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't uh, anticipate any great inheritance coming my way, but uh, there, are, there are, you know, people who uh, look forward to, their, maybe their parents or grandparents or whatever, someone in their family is... Uh, uh, incredibly uh, well-off, maybe, and they're looking forward to, uh, you know, someday receiving, right, an inheritance, assuming they're in the will. Um, but they, they, they're excited about that, right? And it could, it could, because it can change their life, uh, it could set them up, so on and so forth. Uh, and an earthly inheritance has its blessing, has its blessings, uh, But I'll just tell you, there is nothing, as we'll see in a moment, like this inheritance. Nothing. Nothing compares to it. Uh, So if you have no inheritance coming, earthly, don't fret. Don't be down. Because you are not without inheritance as a believer in Jesus Christ. And this inheritance makes all the other inheritances pale in comparison. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. He says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and get this, fellow heirs with Christ. The NIV says co-heirs with Christ. Now, an heir, beloved, is one who receives an inheritance, okay? This is really uh, quite unbelievable, to say the least, but as adopted children of God, we will one day share in what rightfully belongs to the divine Son of God. Did you hear what I just said? As adopted children of God, those who have been adopted through faith in Jesus Christ We will one day inherit what rightfully belongs to, it doesn't belong to us, but what rightfully belongs to the one divine Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. Co-heirs. So what belongs to the Son? The Scripture answers that question. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 2. There the writer says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of what? All things, through whom also he created the world. (laughs) All things, beloved. All things. All good things. All blessed things. All wonderful things. The universe and everything in it. And even things we don't even know of yet because we can't see them yet. All things, 
belong to the Son, all things will belong to us as children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Huh? Come on. Beloved, consider that for a moment. Apostle Paul also speaks of our inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 through 14, saying there, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One writer says this, as members of God's family, we are already heirs, yet our full possession of the inheritance awaits the future. It awaits the future, beloved. You aren't going to get it here. Okay? Let me say that. That's a fool's errand. Unfortunately, as I've said before, many health, wealth, prosperity, gospel preachers, false teachers suggest that we have it now, that we get that possession now. It's not the case. It is a future possession. It is coming. But it's coming according to God's timetable. It's coming when he says it'll come. But it is not now. Now, we live in a fallen world. And as Thomas said, you know, it is still, even though it's fallen, there's great beauty in it. But when I see that beauty, I, and I do enjoy it, and there are, there are nice things about it, but when I see that, I realize there's still a lot of pain, right? There's still a lot of suffering, but when I see that beauty, I think that's going to be nothing like the world to come. Magnified a hundred times in your mind. It's just, a, it's just a taste of what God has in store for us as his children. You see a beautiful sunset. You see a beautiful scenery. You enjoy your children or your family. Those beauties, those wonders, they're just a foretaste of the glory that will be ours. Because all of it is still in a corrupted world, in a fallen world. And so it comes along with pain and suffering and hardships and tribulations, all of it. And none of it is as glorious as it can be. But it will be. It will be. And it is ours in the future. Now, Peter describes our inheritance with three words. Three words. He basically says, this is all that it is not. That's the best. You know, and, and commentators look at that and they go, because it's probably hard for him to even, like I say, find appropriate words to describe what it is. So the best we can do is say, well, this is what it's not. But in describing what it's not, it reveals just how awesome and spectacular it is. So he says it is, uh, look back at the text, our inheritance is imperishable. It is inheritance that is imperishable. You know what that word means? It means simply not subject to decay. It will not spoil. Huh? It will not become weak 
or damaged through time due to wear. It is totally free from the forces of decay that destroy everything in our present system and world as we see. Even you think I think about decay, I immediately think about tooth decay. I don't know why. Probably because I'm afraid of the dentist and it plagues me. But you think about decay. There's, listen, you, you take care of your teeth, you know. That's what they tell you. But even so, they're disintegrating. The enamel's wearing away. There's, uh, you know, procedures and such that you can get to try to hold back the forces of decay, right? And you can have good hygiene and so on and so forth. But, beloved, you live long enough. Those teeth are going bye-bye. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. That's the reality. We are living in a state of decay. It's right in our mouths. You wake up every morning and let your spouse smell your breath, and they'll know there's a state of decay going on (laughs) right there, up close and personal. But it is not so. It is not so with our inheritance. Free. Absolutely free from decay. Remember what the Lord says? He says this, and it fits, because he's speaking of that great inheritance one day. He says in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust, two destroying elements, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, so it's not safe. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Huh? Our hope, our hope is what, beloved? What is it? Imperishable, right? What else is it? Undefiled. Beautiful word. Uh, pure, these are definitions of the word, untainted, unsoiled, unstained. But let me tell you, the way the word is used in the scriptures, it implies unstained by sin, morally pure. Let me show that to you. Uh, Same word is used in Hebrews 13.4. And there, the writer says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Same word. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let the marriage bed be free from sin, unstained, untainted. Let the marriage bed be pure the writer says. Also, same word, but uh, Greek word translated slightly differently, the same, I- same idea being communicated there. Speaking of our Lord and Savior, Hebrews 7.26, it says this, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, holy, innocent, what is it? Unstained. Same word, unstained, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. And one writer 
says this, our inheritance has the very character of Christ, our great high priest. Beloved, the Christian's hope is a hope that consists of a pure and holy inheritance for those who have been made pure and holy by the precious and sinless blood of Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. It is an inheritance that will remain untouched by the awful and destructive stain of sin. But are you looking forward to a world where sin is no longer a factor? Huh? That is our world that is coming to us. Not this one. It is the world that is coming to us that is prepared for us as believers in Jesus Christ. We saw this passage also on the slides this morning. The Apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, but according to his promise, God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. We're waiting, and it's going to be new. It's not this one. New heavens and a new earth in which what? Righteousness dwells. I it's hard for me to fathom that, honestly. A world in which sin is no longer present, a world in which it's no longer present in me, glory be to God. A world in which it's no longer present in my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have fellowship now. Imagine the fellowship we'll have then. Seriously. We'll no longer wound each other. We'll no longer hurt each other. We'll no longer say terrible things to one another. We'll no longer even think terrible things about one another. Wow. We will love each other as God has called us to love in a way that we, in the power of the Spirit of God, we love, but still, we fail often, right? Not so there. Righteousness dwells. No more war. No more conflict. No more suffering. No more trials and tribulations. It's hard for me to fathom. But it is a mine. It is mine. It is yours if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It is coming to us. What's the last thing it is? How about, let's review. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. What else is our inheritance? Oh, my. You know, these, again, it's hard to describe. And so he says, let me tell you what it's, what it's not. It's not this. It's, it's unfading. It, it doesn't fade. It, it retains its beauty. It's magnificent. It's splendor. Okay? It is like a gorgeous flower that never fades, never dies. You know, it is what women attempt to do through plastic surgery. I'm speaking generally, you know, just attempting to 
something starts to happen, right? Some of the glory of youth happens to men too, but men just don't seem to care. But <laughs> the, the, the glory, I guess, of the brilliance of youth begins to fade away. Why? Because we're decaying, beloved. We're decaying, but not so there. Our inheritance, all of it, the wonder of it, the glory of it never fades away. The pain on your house fades away, right? The sun comes and bleeds it out, and the wind and the rain. The car, you know that? You ever had a new car, or even one that's kind of new? And you look at the paint job, right? Especially after it's been waxed. It's brilliant, you know? I'm into cars. Obviously, I'm not relating to any of the women right now, but... uh, Guys, you with me? You know, you see, maybe I am, some of you, you see a, a really nice car, you go, whoa! I mean, and it's the, what do you see besides the design and everything? That paint job, it shines, it's glorious. Give it time, it'll fade. It loses its luster, its shine, its brilliance. Not so with our future inheritance. Not so. That's what he's saying. One writer says this, the attractiveness of the inheritance will never diminish, nor will it lose its charm for Christians. You think heaven's going to grow old? No, beloved. The glory of it will be sustained for all eternity by a great God who is glorious. Our hope is living. Our hope is superb. We just looked at it. It's outstanding. It's exceptional. And guess what else? Our hope is secure. Our hope is secure. Look at the end of verse 4. It says there in 1 Peter 1, 4, that we have, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What does it say? Yeah. Where is it kept? Beloved, could there be a more secure place? Really? Could there be a more secure place? I mean, we mentioned, you know, we talk about our gold supposedly is kept at Fort Knox, and it's supposedly the most secure place in the face of, uh, at least in our union, in our country. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I do know. And that's just gold, right? But this eternal inheritance is not kept in some Fort Knox. It is kept in heaven where God and angels dwell. Huh? And when you think about power and you read through the scriptures, is there anything more powerful? Is there any one more powerful than God? Consider the power he's given to his angels. One angel taking out thousands on the face of the planet. As we read through the Old Testament, nothing is more safe. And the verb kept here, it means to guard against, it's translated kept, it means to guard against loss or injury by keeping an eye on that which is being guarded, okay? Guarded. Now, I was thinking, it made me think of just this idea of guarding that there's a commercial on TV for some credit monitoring service. I don't know if you've seen it, but they, they're trying to distinguish themselves from other people. You know, there's these credit monitoring services who watch to see if your credit has been, um, false identity has happened to you or someone stole your credit card. And they monitor it, and then they tell you, guess what? Your ID has been stolen, or someone is using your credit. This service uh, tries to distinguish themselves by saying, we don't just monitor your, serv- your uh, credit, we guard it, meaning that we do stuff to prevent it from even being stolen. And uh, Have you seen that commercial? So they have a security guard standing in a bank, 
And he, you have, it's kind of funny, he's standing in the bank and robbers come in and everyone's on the floor and they look to him and he's a security guard and they say, well, theoretically a security guard, they go say, do something. The robbers are all there in their masks and he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. I'm just here to tell you a robbery is taking place. And so it's in that, so in that sense, God is not monitoring our inheritance in heaven. He is guarding it. Nothing can take it away. He's keeping his eye on it. It just, again, elevates the security, uh, at least it should in our minds, of it. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be destroyed. No force can come against it. That's our inheritance. And I would just say of any earthly inheritance, that is simply not true. They can all be taken away or destroyed. But listen, the security of our inheritance really means nothing. It means nothing if someone or something could somehow prevent us from receiving it. You with me? So listen. So I know it's kept there, but what if I don't get there? Huh? It's kept there, but what if I never get to experience it? So again, just back to my earthly uh, inheritance illustration. You may have a great earthly inheritance or maybe you even in a retirement that you, you've built up over the years, you've sacrificed and you've poured yourself to it and it's there and maybe it's being kept secure <laughs> in whatever way that might be on the earth and uh, so not full security but there's some security and it's there for you but you die. So death prevents you from ever receiving it, right? So We need it to be secure, but we also need some security that we're going to get it. And Peter provides it. Look back at the text in verse 4. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, Christian. And then he says, Who? Who's the who referring to? It's the you. Who? You, Christian, whose inheritance is kept secure in heaven? Who, by God's power, you, Christian, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The word translated guard there, it's a military term that was used to refer to a garrison within a city. You know what a garrison is? It's a it's a place where troops would be stationed. In a, it's a military post where troops would be stationed uh, for what reason? To protect the city from foes, from enemies. Peter, in this last portion here, he, de- he describes our inheritance in terms of salvation. It is, it is our future salvation. It is the reward that is coming to all those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's making clear here is not, not only is our inheritance protected, but the heirs themselves are being divinely protected so that they might be sure to receive their inheritance. And notice this, that the text says that they are being guarded. They are being guarded. Look back at your Bibles. They are being guarded through what? Faith. Faith. Faith here is the idea of it's, and it always a continuing trust or faithfulness. They're being guarded through faith, a faith that continues. 
okay? But what does that mean that they're being guarded through faith? Well, let me say this. We know that God's guarding or protection of the heirs does not necessarily keep them from persecution and suffering, right? We know that just in verse 6 where Peter begins to talk about trials that they are experiencing, suffering that they are experiencing. And as I told you, the whole letter is one of the major themes of it is the suffering of believers, okay, for their faith. So he's not necessarily protecting them or guarding them from difficulties. What is he protecting them from? And he's doing it. Somehow it's connected with faith, okay? And remember, this protection, this guarding is so that the heir will receive his inheritance. You with me so far? So let me say this to you, and I'm going to read a few passages. What is clearly taught in the Word of God is that the Christian must persevere in their faith. They must continue to trust in the Lord. All those who continue to trust in the Lord will be received by the Lord and experience the great salvation, inheritance, and hope that is theirs because of Christ. But that faith must continue. So the idea that someone can say, I believed, uh, I believed in Jesus when I was whatever, 12, 14, 15, but I stopped believing in him. I stopped trusting in him. I've even turned away from him. The idea that that person will go to heaven because at one time they made some profession or they said they believed is erroneous. It's ridiculous. They will not go to heaven because the Christian who truly experiences saving faith has a faith that will persevere. They'll continue all the way to death to believe, to hope, to trust, to follow. Perfectly? No. Imperfectly? Will they ever have doubts? Yeah. But the doubts will not lead to turning away completely from the Lord and apostatizing, denying the one who you once professed and believed in. They won't. But how does that happen? So the Christian has to persevere, okay? Otherwise, all bets are off. Because if he doesn't persevere, the reality is he never had saving faith to begin with. But we are challenged often, right, in our walk with God. We're challenged. Our faith is challenged. So think about, just think about the scenario. These Christians here in Peter, primarily, what are they suffering for? For Christ, for their faith in Christ, for their gospel proclamation, right? So what is directly, so as they suffer, what do you think is directly being challenged? Their very faith. Like, is this a good idea? Is believing in this one and trusting this one, is this really a good idea? Because it's bringing me a lot of trouble. I've lost this. I've lost that. I find myself in prison. I'm having trouble at work because I'm a Christian and because I'm living as a Christian. I'm professing him. And for that, I'm receiving a lot of trouble. That'll cause you to start to question things. That one needs to persevere, just like every other Christian. And certainly under these circumstances, they would find more challenges to that as they're suffering, not just a general suffering, but suffering specifically because they name the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. So listen, Colossians 1, a couple of verses. Let me just read them to you. 
Listen what the word of God says. It says, in you, he's writing to Christians, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That is Christ, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Yes, all these things are yours if indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you remain stable and steadfast and do not shift or move away from the hope of the gospel that brought you into saving grace. The writer of Hebrews says this, 1032-39, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. This is for, their, for them identifying with Christ, following Christ, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. Again, I told you, these are those in prison because of their faith in Christ, not because they committed a crime, a real crime. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's talking about the Christian's hope, that eternal inheritance. But then he warns and he says, therefore, you've gone this far. You've done all this. You suffered loss of your things for the name of Christ. Do not, as they were being tempted to, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, quoting God. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back, the writer says, and are destroyed, but rather of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay? Beloved, all right, so let me give you a couple of more uh, scripture quotes real quick. We're almost finished. John 6.37. You might remember this. The Lord Jesus says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. No doubt. And whoever comes to me, I will never, never cast out. Okay? So the true believer must persevere in faith. But here it says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, which tells me the true believer will persevere in faith. But I'm going to get to a second why that's so. And that's what we find in Peter. So hold on. Then John 6, 39, it says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, just a few verses later, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's the will of God. He will lose nothing. The Heavenly Father, this is his will, that the Son will lose nothing, not a single one, not a single person that he has given to his Son. Not a single child will be lost, but he will raise them up to be with him in the last day. Okay? So what is going on? What's going on is, Peter, think about the circumstances. Think about these four people suffering specifically for their faith. He says, your inheritance is kept in heaven. Okay? Your inheritance is kept in heaven, but I know you're suffering, and I'm sure he knows they're struggling, right? Maybe even questioning this Christian thing. 
on some degree, on some level, because they're getting hit hard for it, which I've told you I believe is coming here to a store near you, the U.S. of A. It's already here, beloved, but it's coming in a way that we probably never experienced, suffering for our faith, not just suffering, but suffering for our faith. And so he says to them, your inheritance is not only being kept, but you, you are being kept by the power of God through faith. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about? It means that God is sustaining them in their faith. It means that ultimately, if it was left to us and to our power to persevere in the faith, to continue to trust in God with all the stuff that comes at us, we would fail. Every single last one of us would fail. And so we might have this inheritance, but what doubt would plague us? When's the next storm that's going to hit my life that's going to cause me to jump ship? Peter says, there ain't no storm. Okay, he doesn't say that, but now I'm speaking for him. There ain't no storm that'll ever come that'll remove you from that ship, that'll cause you to jump ship because God is guarding you through your faith, through that faith. He is working in you. He is sustaining you. He is causing you to persevere. Now, of course, beloved, we are called to persevere. So we look to God and we continue to trust in him and hope in him, but God is working in us to empower us to do that very thing so that we can have no fear that we will be those who shrink back. We will not. If we are true, genuine believers of Jesus Christ, we will not shrink back. Yeah, but Jeremy, what if, they, what if, they, what if it really gets rough? What if it does? It probably will. And God will sustain every child of his through those times. And therefore, we can have hope that no matter what craziness comes upon us, and specifically because of our stand for Jesus Christ, we can have hope. We can be, have confident expectation that we will continue to follow him no matter what the cost because God will sustain us through faith. It's his power. Notice it's his power. It's the power of God because we are powerless. But God is almighty and is going to fulfill his plan to bring his children to himself as they continue to trust and believe in him. One writer says this, God's power does not shield believers from trials and sufferings, but it does protect us from that which would cause us to fall away. God's power protects us because his power is the means by which our faith is sustained. Isn't that wonderful, beloved? It's God. The whole thing is God. From start to finish, it's God. He prepared that inheritance for you. He provided a way that you might be made right with him through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might receive that inheritance. And then he, by his own power, brings you all the way through this life, as difficult as it might be as you live for Christ, making sure that you continue to look to him and trust in him and believe in him so that you might come unto him in that great day and receive that inheritance that we don't deserve, we never will, but he gives it to us because he's so gracious and merciful and loving. Unbelievable. And that's our hope. 
Our hope is in heaven, and we are kept by God so that we would receive that hope. Now, in closing, I promise, look back at verse 3 one more time. Just a few closing comments. This is how Peter begins in 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has called us to be born again to a living hope. And we've looked at that living hope now. We've looked at it, okay? It's living, it's superb, it's secure. We have this living, secure, and superb hope because we have been born again. Okay, we talked about that. It it is the exclusive possession of the true, authentic, genuine, born-again believer, the one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and is following him. But we have been born again, according to what Peter says here, according to God's great mercy. Mercy. You see it? According to his great mercy. Beloved, it's not deserved. It's not merited. We were helpless to save ourselves, but God had compassion on our pitiful state. He had compassion. And that is why he begins, verse 3, with saying, blessed, there's an exclamation point there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, beloved, it means worthy of praise. Peter is declaring that God is infinitely praiseworthy. Why? Because it's according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again unto this living hope. And for that, we should give God great praise. Let me close with this uh, statement here. It says, in the present turbulent world, Christians are truly justified in viewing the future with optimism. Our new God-given life has delivered us from hopelessness and given us a joyous expectancy of what God still has in store for his people. Beloved, our future is bright. And I'm not talking the future here on earth because I don't know what that's going to be. But I know what the one will be because God has revealed it in the life to come. I know what it will be and it is wonderful and glorious. And let me say, I say are because I'm talking about all of us who name Christ as our Lord and Savior. All of us who trust in him. All of us who have repented and turned to him. If you're in here and you haven't done that, your future is not bright. And the scriptures say you are without hope and without God in this world. But why remain there? Huh? Why remain there? Give up your rebellion against God because it's foolish and it'll be crushed along with all your hopes because they're empty. Turn to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Him. Recognize Him and believe in Him to be who He is, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. And you too will be born again into this living hope. And I'll tell you, without this hope, without this hope, I'd be a drunkard. Probably. I would. Or I'd be something else. This hope has sustained me through the difficulties of this life. Beloved, I pray and trust as you think about it rightly and meditate on it regularly, that it will sustain you too, empower you, so that even in the midst of your sorrow, you can still rejoice 
Because this life is not all there is for us. And the one coming is alive, it is secure, it is superb. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those now who are without hope and without God in this world. And Father, I pray that they would come to their senses, that you would bring them to that place where they would see the vanity of continuing in that state, the foolishness. Father, I pray that they would even even today, maybe come and speak to someone that's here or, or one of us that'll be up here after the service to help them, to walk them through what it is to profess faith in Christ. But, Father, as I've already said, they, they just, I pray that you would reveal it to them. They, they've heard. They need to turn to Jesus. They need to recognize their sin before you, their guilt before you, the wrath that is coming as we read about and been reading about in Revelation, it is coming, it is certain, just as much as our inheritance is certain, so is the wrath that is to come. Father, might they know that in a way that they've never understood that before, and may it drive them to the cross where they can find salvation in Jesus, being born again as they put their faith and trust in Him, and then being born into this great hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of our Savior. And Lord, I also pray for all those that are are truly born again here. Father, help us. We forget so easily about our great hope. And because of that, we suffer in ways that we need not suffer. We are weak when we need not be weak, and we are cast down when, and, and without strength. But we, if we would meditate on this hope, consider it rightly, we would find in it the strength that we need to persevere, and even the ability to rejoice, even in the most difficult circumstances. And not rejoice in the difficult circumstances, but rejoice in you. Rejoice in you. And rejoice in the great salvation that you have given us in Jesus Christ and all that that means and the great future that we have because of it. I ask your blessing, Father, on this church for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.